Welcome to the Dreamcast Podcast. My name is Daniel Bozinski, and my goal is to help you find purpose and become the greatest version of yourself. Every week, our promise is to deliver one-of-a-kind stories of individuals who are pioneering purpose in their life. These are people I personally would have loved to have as mentors and leaders in my life in the past, and now they're right here at our fingertips. The Dreamcast guests are willing to be authentic, genuine, and human about their struggles and success. To me, purpose is priceless, and if you're looking to make an investment into your life yourself, I believe you've come to the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Well, thanks for joining us again on the Dreamcast Podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show. Today's guest is an adventurous, entrepreneurial-driven leader, a passionate wilderness advocate. He's the founder of Wild Ark, a social venture with the goal of securing green belts around the world. Wild Ark's ultimate mission is to reconnect people with nature and to help protect the world's wild places. Through Wild Ark, our guest aims to ensure that he leaves the world in a better natural state for his kids and future generations to come. When he's not in the bush or trekking to the far reaches of the world, our guest spends time on his surfboard or on an outdoor adventure with his children. A native Australian, he has spent his entire life surrounded by the bush and is now instilling a passion for wilderness in his own children and others. He and his wife Sophie, a co-founder of Wild Ark, are now living with their children in South Africa and he is living his purpose one wild adventure at a time. March Hutchinson, welcome to the Dreamcast. Daniel, thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. Well, I feel like this is going to be such a exciting podcast. You just let me know that uh, you said, don't be afraid if there's some noise, you're going to have uh, hyenas and <laughs> different wildlife. You're on a hill. Tell us where you're at right now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually in a little or close to a little town called Hootsbraid in South Africa, which is just on the kind of edge of the Kruger National Park. And uh, because the reception's not so great here, I've come to a hill on our property, which is frequented by the local visitors, hyena, leopard, even the odd lioness has been coming through. So if you hear some rumbling in the background, it's either me jumping for cover or something uh, predatory walking past. <laughs> so is this like, are you possibly in a dangerous spot or what? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm just sitting in our car. So I'm sitting in a, um, you know, utility four by four, but uh all good. <laughs> I've had some hairy moments here because I've got to call the U.S. at kind of this time. It's just getting dark, and obviously that's when the predators like to start their their feeding. So all good though. I'll uh, I'll let you know if I get in trouble. Okay, cool. Well, first thing, that's amazing. First time I've ever done a podcast like this. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, right? So people that don't know Mark, um, you know, kind of tell us a little bit about when what it was like when you were a kid. And then the progression of, you know, child, you know, adult, and now where you're at now. Yeah, sure. I, I was very lucky with my childhood, you know, two loving parents, which is probably, you know, the, the kind of biggest gift you can ever have. Um, my old man was a Canadian citizen who moved to Australia um, as a teenager and was kind of left there by, by his parents because of work. And he stayed on, fell in love with my mum and um, you know, we had a, a pretty idyllic childhood sort of raised between the east coast of Australia, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney, all three cities. But the big thing for me, I think, you know, that rubbed off most upon me, apart from, you know, watching a great relationship between my parents was spending a lot of time in the bush. Uh, my dad and all his mates were, were kind of farming, uh, you know, background. So any holidays, any spare weekend, we're off to one of mum and dad's mates in the bush horse riding, fishing, camping. Um, and I think that's really where the love of, you know, what, what we're 
fortunate enough to be able to do now. The seed was planted way back when. That is so cool, man. You know, I feel like like I feel like you learn in a classroom, right? You have this experience in a classroom. And, and most of the world is educated through a classroom. But what happens when you leave the classroom and you enter into true experience? So, like, what are some things that you learn in the bush? Yeah, it's such a great point and something that, you know, we're now trying to instill in our kids at the same time. I think one of the big things I learned, especially spending a lot of time on, you know, what were mainly agricultural farms in um, the state, New South Wales in Australia, but people in the bush seem to get a lot of responsibility a lot earlier because you have to, you know, your old man has to leave you in charge of cows or fixing a gate or driving a car when you're certainly not ready, ready for one, um, you know, from a license point of view. So I think that that responsibility early of taking care of yourself, understanding what's happening around you, having that spatial awareness of where danger might be or, you know, weather coming in or, okay, it's getting dark. We've got five kilometers to get home. We better leave now. Those things you cannot be taught in a classroom you have to be there and know kind of that spatial awareness of what's happening in the environment and I think they're the invaluable lessons that certainly I learned as a kid and you know hopefully we're instilling in our own children. So you're from Australia you're in living in South Africa Uh, specifically is it in proximity to Johannesburg is it in proximity to Cape Town where specifically? Yeah, so we're about a five-hour drive northeast from Johannesburg. So if you look on a map, we're, we're probably a lot closer to Zimbabwe um, and Mozambique than, you know, other parts of South Africa. So we're right in the kind of wildlife belt, um, you know, called the Greater Kruger National Park. So really in the hotspot of, you know, some of the, the greatest wildlife on the planet. Okay, and then the reason I asked that is because, you know, you've got then, you know, Europe, which is quite uh, north of you. You've got Asia, which is to the right, east of you. You got, then you got the west. You got the United States. You got South America, Canada, which is where your father was from. So why don't you define the bush for us? Because the only reason I'm saying that is, as you're saying that, I think the way you interpret that might be very different from a Western individual that doesn't travel a lot, uh, or even myself, right? I travel a ton, but the bush to me is like, it is being outdoors, um, but I, I'm, I'm just assuming that you have a different definition of it. Yeah, no, so the, the bush is, you know, very much situational or colloquial. In, in Australia, we call the bush the bush, and that's, if you like, you know, what in the north um, America you would call the woods or the forest or, you know, I'm going to go for a hike in the forest is or hike in the woods is a term when I used to live and work in the States. Um, and in South, Southern Africa, they also call, you know, the bush the bush. In other parts of the world, you know, the wild, the outback in certain parts of Australia. So so to me, I use the bush as a very generalist term saying, you know, anywhere that we're getting off concrete roads and, you know, into wilderness is, you know, really how I define that term. Wow, super cool. So what is it about the wildlife? What is it about wilderness that draws you in, that kind of makes you serve it in this capacity of, of maintaining and sustaining it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a... You know, I don't want to be sort of long-winded and verbose. So, so trying to keep it tight, I think, for me at a very personal level, and I think everyone's ex- experience with the bush and the wild is very personal. It's that, you know, sense of calm uh, that comes over me when I go from, you know, very busy urban-centric um, environment into, you know, the, the peace and quiet, which is more of a superficial peace and quiet in the bush because there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, behind the scenes in, in any ecosystem. But just that, you know, that real calmness that overcomes me. And then as I've gotten older and older, 
you know, even in my short time, I've seen the dwindling of the true wild places around the world. And so now I enter the, the wilderness and I feel a deep sense of responsibility saying, well, if my kids and their kids are going to be able to enjoy, you know, the same adventures and experiences that me and a lot of other millions of people around the world do, I have a deep responsibility to try and do what I can. And so it's almost a responsibility feeling that I, I get, you know, most uh, strongly now when I enter the wilderness. So you were in the the hustle bustle kind of, you know, day to day grind, and then you go out into the wilderness. This is my, like, this is my thought is like, is how, how is that transition? Okay. So what I mean by that is you were working, building something, doing, working a job, quote unquote, and now your job is more merged into your passion. And it's like, what is that like though? Like, is that, is that a difficult transition going from the, the hustle to like the, the more preservation and the more strategic role that you're in now? Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. And, and actually I've kind of, come full circle because you know the first i'm 37 now and the first 10 years of my proper career say 21 to 31 was actually based around the wilderness so i had a, a business untamed which was a, a travel agent that basically sent people to you know the far corners of the world argentina alaska africa you know think of the most wild places and i was fortunate enough to work through that whole period going to a lot of these places and then my business took off, um, you know, in a sense, good and bad, and really started to grow where, you know, instead of me being the host and the guide to these locations, I became the manager and the fundraiser and the business guy. And, you know, so from 2011, 12, I spent a good three or four years then in the corporate environment as the business grew. And then I had a shocking experience in um, selling the business, you know, shocking for a, a few reasons. And then, but the, I guess the silver lining was that I could now return to my true passion, you know, with my wife and kids back to really where I started as a, as a young man trying to, you know, be in the wilderness um, with a newfound mission, which was to protect as much as we can. So, okay, when you say that, I think there's a lot of people, men and women that are working so hard to build their career right now with the dream that one day they'll be able to slow down, relax and do more meaningful activities. And and again, by me saying all this, I hope that no one ever thinks that you're slowing down and relaxing and not doing anything and sitting with your feet up on a on a Jeep in the wilderness, just watching lions, which again, I, I know that you have a work ethic that you're, you are working hard to push all of these agendas to keep the wildlife healthy. But when I say that, I mean, your life right now is more of your passion, correct? Yeah, no, you, you dead right i think the the passion that i feel now every day when i wake up and the you know the meaning to get out of bed in the morning um, is certainly driven by you know this deep-seated uh, desire and responsibility to do what we can um, but uh, you're dead right as well at the same time we're extremely busy trying to you know connect all the dots you know we're a startup business like any other startup we have the same challenges the same pressures it just so happens that we're able to combine I guess, how we would choose to live our life, you know, with our professional lives. So, so what about people, what about people that want to make that jump? What would you speak to them? What would be your advice to them? And then kind of what's your rationale to like why they need to make that jump or even like wisdom that you have on the timing of making that to, I mean, you've got to have a career, you've got to have something that's bringing in income, but like, yeah, share a little bit into that. Sure. We, I mean, we're obviously an extreme case where we've moved, you know, our entire family um, to different countries into a place that, 
you know, I guess most people or, or a lot of people, certainly even when we left, would say, ah, you know, you're crazy going to, you know, South Africa. Isn't it dangerous? You know, what are your kids going to do for schooling? So I think if you peel back the extreme case, um, you know, it certainly isn't like that at all. We've come to a beautiful um, part of the world that's relatively inexpensive to live in um, compared to some of the major cities around the world. And I think for us, the, you know, the choice was based on, again, a deep-seated passion, which I know a lot of people share that kind of passion for the wilderness. All I would say is, you know, have a go. I mean, the life is, it's so cliche, but life is so short. You only get one shot at it. And, you know, if you have a tight family, if you have a, you know, willing partner who, or, you know, hopefully if you, as a partnership, you're also, you know, both, I guess, gunning for the same true north as in your passion. I mean, just go and see what the world is about because they're, it's scary and it's, uh, you know, challenging, but at the same time, the rewards of, you know, making a change like this have just been profound. I can only speak of my personal experience, but absolutely profound. So what's your day-to-day look like? Just kind of speak a little bit into your day-to-day and then the weekends. Yeah. So, um, you know, usual Monday to Friday work is just my, I guess my getting up in the morning um, is a little bit different. I'm up about 5.15. I'm really a morning person. Uh, the sun gets up here about six o'clock at the moment. So kind of first light, uh, put a fire on. It's very cold here in the mornings at the moment. You know, we have a cup of tea and then off onto our farm. So we, we have a game farm that we're rehabilitating uh, at the moment. I meet a, a crew of workers. We've, we've employed about eight people that are doing everything from fencing to road maintenance to bush clearing, um, security, you know, walks and patrols. So whatever's going on in a given day, I meet a team at around 6 a.m. and then we divvy up the jobs for the day. And then most of the day is, you know, in the sun where, as I said, we're, we're pulling tires along roads or, you know, clearing bush. Um, and then I try and limit my email time. You know, we have an office in Australia, we have an office in the US and obviously being based in the, in South Africa, we have the usual digital time needed, but I try and limit that to the mid afternoon when it's the hottest for about two hours. And then we all <laughs> knock off, we, we all knock off at about five o'clock in the afternoon when the sun's setting. Great. What a brilliant uh, strategy with the email timing. That's great. So what about what time to go to, what time do you go to bed? Do you go to bed eight, nine, 10? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty early. I'm I'm a bookworm, so we have no television. Um, So, you know, I'm in bed at eight o'clock reading a book for about 45 minutes and usually absolutely sound asleep, feet up by nine. Great. And then what about like your children? Like no television? Like that's the first thing I think about. What do they think about that? Well, they, they've never really been allowed it. Uh, most of their lives, they're allowed a, a show on the weekend or a Disney movie. Um, but they're, you know, they're very used to that. And, you know, they go to a beautiful little bush school down the road where there's no shoes. They're half their day spent in the classroom and half their day is actually spent in a little reserve where they're learning birds and trees. And Dude, that's so epic. <laughs> yeah. So, no, they're lucky. Um, I mean, they're fortunate kids to be able to do that. And I think they'll really appreciate that when they get older. So tell me about like something, what's the main thing that you want to pass on to your kids? You know, you're thinking about, you've got four children, you know, they're 21 one day, or I don't know, maybe some of them are older or getting close to their 25, they're getting into their adult. Like, what do you want them to say about you? I think, yeah, I, I've actually spoken to my wife about this. If, if there's one thing that, you know, my kids could or hopefully have from me when they're older is just a sense of, um, you know, adventure. The, the sense of adventure, I mean, not just the traveling to these kind of places, but also just having a go. You know, we use that term in Australia as anything that you think, you know, you might be able to achieve as long as you put your mind to it, you can. And again, another huge motherhood statement cliche, but if that's one thing that I hope I've instilled in them is, you know, a broad horizon that anything's possible and, you know, life's an adventure to be lived. 
So cool, man. Tell us some of the, the challenges of traveling so much, especially with kids. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we are that family. We are Because that's Griswold. real. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the proper stuff. We are the Chevy Chase Griswold family on vacation. Uh, you know, 10, 15 bags, uh, kids running everywhere. Oh, my gosh. He's trying to keep everyone calm, passports, phones, you know, the whole the whole thing. So if you see a family like that, it's exactly us, the stereotype. But we're, we're, getting, we're getting better. Now my, our youngest kids are six. You know, they're a bit more um, au fait, I guess, with airports and queues and, um, you know, passport lines. So our travel is definitely challenging, but getting less and less so now that our youngest are uh, getting a bit older. So cool. You know, I remember doing my... Uh first uh wild adventure in right next to johannesburg we flew into the tinga jungle i believe it's by mozambique are you familiar no beautiful place yeah so i i basically remember going on these safaris early in the morning and elephants and bamboo or what are they baboons and all these different animals right and it's like you know lions and and cheetahs and hyenas and gazelles and i remember there's, there's a few scary moments with elephants where I legitimately was like, dude, we're going to die. Like, the, you know, they, they start facing you and flapping their ears, which is a warning sign. And, and this, this is what our guide was telling us. But tell us about some of the scary moments in your job and in your life where you were just like, wow, I'm in the bush and I could die. Because the, the guys were telling us that it happens all the time. If you're not aware all the time, you just something just creeps up right there. Yeah, no, I've had a few and, you know, I've been lucky enough. I've been um, traveling. I was actually a guide myself for about 19 years. But you, especially when I come back and I haven't been in the bush for a while, it does take a while for your senses to adjust. And we just had an example of this this year where I came back and I was walking on our property in one of the drainage lines. So the drainage line is just a dry riverbed, essentially, that may only run you know, from rainfall a few times a year. And I was actually just checking a camera trap. We put camera traps around to, you know, take photos of whatever's coming down the drainage, hyenas, leopard, aardvark. And I was I was fiddling with the camera trap and I just heard this twig snap, which, you know, anything heavy enough to snap a twig in the African bush, you kind of need to take notice <laughs> of. And a, a beautiful, huge male leopard that was known to us was about, you know, seven to 10 meters behind us. You know, time will make it five and three meters, of course, but let's just call it 10 meters. And I just froze. And the the thing that experts have always told me is don't look a leopard in the eye. You kind of look at its feet. And so I just stared at his feet as he kind of stood there in the drainage, staring back at me. I could feel his yellow eyes boring into my soul. Oh my God. And he just, he kind of gave a little grunt, a, a leopard call sounds like a saw. It's like a, <clears throat> yep. and he did just a quick little moment of that. And then he walked off and it was both a, both a beautiful and, you know, just a, a reminder that, okay, mate, you're, you're not king of the jungle here. You're, you know, you're the wobbly Australian who's come back to Africa. You need to uh, get your senses in check. You're the little ant though, right? In that world, like when you're next to any one of those things, you don't feel, you feel insignificant, don't you? Oh, yeah, and it's both a wonderful and a very scary feeling knowing that you're definitely not king of the jungle so, in that scenario. So tell me about, like, so tell me about what the heck your mind's, like, You're were you alone right there, or were you with one person? Yeah, I was, I know, I was just doing a kind of early morning, you know, um, So what, what were you thinking about? Like, if this thing lunges, like, were you building any of that out, like, the plan? Like, you got to tell me, you got to invite not, me in there. Yeah, not, not really. If I invited you into my mind, it was probably... A very slow, um, you know, trying to keep my heart rate under control, 
you know, scenario. And I was trying, I remember trying to think about the beauty of the moment as well as, you know, my own uh, safety. You know, I, I didn't go through any of the thinking of my wife and kids because you could sort of feel if it was a danger, it didn't feel dangerous. It felt or threatening. You know, the, the leopard was very calm. He was chilled. He was just kind of checking out who was in his zone. And then he walked off calmly. So I never felt, you know, really, truly threatened. So I think, you know, calm and slow was in my mind. Again, I've had other scenarios, especially with elephants, as you mentioned, where you do feel threatened. But this one was, it was quite a beautiful and yet scary scenario. Now, can you sense the, or can the leopard sense like your heart rate and all that? Like it can, it knows all that, like the fear, is that real? Uh, I've heard both arguments. You know, the spiritual man in me says, absolutely, they can sense my energy and my, you know, pulse and my breath. And then, you know, kind of the scientist in me says, well, you know, maybe not. But, you know, I'm very, I feel very spiritually connected to, you know, nature. So I think they can. I think they can sense when we're agitated, nervous, angry, aggressive. And so, you know, why why couldn't they... uh, you know, people always talk about scenarios with wildlife where they've had beautiful encounters when they've been calm and serene. And so, no, I am a big believer that animals can sense your mood. So how about, again, we're just kind of having fun here talking about your expertise, right? This is like your passion topic. Like what about hippos? Have you ever had an encounter or like crocodiles? Because hippos, I've heard that they've like, they are more dangerous. They're one of the most dangerous for human deaths out there. But like, tell us about those two. Yeah, well, just to uh, to I guess squash a myth. I'm definitely no expert. I you know I have this passion and love for the bush. I've spent a lot of time in it. But you know when you spend time with a real expert, which I try and do often, um, you know you you'll get a much better answer. But I, I agree with you. I've heard a lot about hippos. I've had one experience with a hippo that was out of water. Um, you know they they go out of water and they graze for miles and miles away from their you know pool or their river. And one night I was walking back to a lodge just with my head torch on and I came across a hippo on a path. And, you know, that's one of the the scariest encounters because they are so quick. There's no chance to outrun these things. Um, but like it how just fast? Most, like 20 miles per hour? Well, yeah, no, I mean, you can't outrun them. So I don't know what a human can run, 25, 30 kilometers. So, you know, 20, 20 miles, 15 miles. These things will mow you down, especially in the first, you know, 50 meters. And for something that big, that is a scary proposition to be run down by a hippo. Wow. But I, I have heard that. And, you know, in this scenario, I, again, just tried to be still. I backed away quite a bit behind a tree and it didn't actually really even notice me. It kind of walked on. But I, I have heard that about hippos. I think they can be extremely dangerous. Dude, it, like your your everyday experience is so dangerous, I feel like. But it's so like, like, I don't I don't know how you don't go out there like with some type of tranquilizer gun or something, I'd be like freaking out. It, it actually, it just isn't as dangerous as you would think. You know, I'm talking about, I may may have 10, you know, experiences or encounters that I would have thought, okay, I'd prefer not to be in this scenario, but that's over thousands of hours, you know, in, in the bush. So totally. I, yeah, I think on a, you know, you put it on any kind of timeline and these are very rare moments and most of the, um, interactions have been extremely peaceful, extremely calm, where we're trying to be respectful for the animal. You know, I don't want to push it. I don't want to get in situations where I agitate an animal or, you know, they feel threatened or nervous by me. So we actually try and avoid those scenarios and try and be as respectful as we can. So tell me the best thing that's ever happened to you on the job. 
Best thing, I think my our two eldest kids, um, you know, they're twenty and eighteen, Isabella and Daniel. Both of them have just graduated their um, Fagasa Level One, which is basically their Safari Safari Guide Level One course. And seeing both of them graduate that, and, and I guess you know, may or may not be their job in the future, but I certainly felt like, you know, as parents, something we had done, you know, that was a, a win for us was having them both love the bush, come to Africa, do their level one course. So I have to say, for me, those two milestones were yeah, extremely important, you know, from, uh, you know, from a professional and a family point of view. So cool, man. I really, really like that. You know, we're going to do a little personal shift, a few, few questions left before we end the show here, but just kind of tell me what's your favorite part of being a parent? You know, you got four kids, yeah, you've, you've, you've seen it all once you have children, right? You're, you're married, but tell us like, what is your favorite part about being a parent? I think, you know, I've heard it and read it a lot of times. And, you know, now that, you know, being a parent for quite a long time, I think it's absolutely true that, you know, the watching your kids learn and discover, I, I don't know if it gets much better than that. When the light bulb goes on, you know, something you've either been, you know, trying to teach them or work with them at, whether it's taking their training wheels off a bike or, you know, reading their first sentence or they're learning stuff at school, you know, their first friend that they bring home that delight and joy of learning and discovering, I think, you know, seeing that through your kid's eyes, that to me is the most special. And in the bush, it's kind of heightened by a factor of 10. I find every time you turn a corner in a truck or walk around a tree, there's like a new story or a new movie unfolding and watching the kids interact and learn and develop through that process is pretty special. Yeah, that's really good. Very well said too. Who 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 inspires you? Like, who's been a major inspiration to your life? Because you've got so much experience. You've been living on so many different continents. You've worked so many different types of jobs, from the untamed now all the way to wild arc. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it, it blows me away. Your life has got to be the culmination of the experiences of people that inspired you. Who who are those people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think my dad you know, starts as number one, just the, you know, that sense of adventure that he all gave us as kids and, you know, travel. And as I said, traveling to people's, you know, farms in the bush when I was a young, young kid was, you know, invaluable. And I think, you know, in later day, I mean, the, the no brainer is David Annenborough, you know, watched every one of his, every minute he's ever shot, I think, um, just an inspirational man and what he's given, you know, mankind as basically a digital arc. I think he's actually a bit of inspiration even behind our brand. You know, people like, uh, there's other people, David Suzuki, the scientist from Canada, I've always followed him since, you know, even as a young kid, I can remember the 80s with, you know, ozone layer and then climate change. There's a few of those type of figures that I, you know, still follow and have, have drawn a lot on. And recently, um, E.O. Wilson, who's the big entomologist, the ant man of the world, who's, I think, been in more jungles and been bitten by more ticks, mosquitoes and ants than anyone on the planet. And if you read his kind of philosophy and thesis on, you know, the wilderness and just how important it is, but how precious and on a preposis we are at the moment of it dwindling and being destroyed by our own actions. Um, no, he's a man I've, I've taken a lot of learning from. Super cool, man. I know when we had our conversation, you know, we talked a little bit about just being kind to people and not letting naysayers have an impact on the overall decision-making you're happening. I mean, you've seen some great success in your life and you've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. So tell us about how being kind 
uh, which can sound like a very weak statement, how that has become a strength of a source of strength, as well as like, I mean, not letting the naysayers like, you know, what, what really prompted that in our personal conversation? Yeah, I, I said I had a, you know, again, you know, success and failure, but, you know, a very big failure um, professionally and in my corporate life after selling my business, you know, essentially things went very pear-shaped very quickly. And I, I had some dark days, some really dark days trying to get out of, I'd never experienced that in my life. Uh, you know, I'd always been very motivated, motivated person, get up and go up at six and, and into it. And after I had this, you know, corporate um, explosion, basically, I, I really struggled. And one of the things that got me through it was my wife. And I mean, she's the kindest, most gentle person you'll ever meet. And I think anyone who ever meets her would uh, say the same. And I, I hadn't always been like that. You know, I'd learned a lot from her about just kindness wins at the end of the day. And as you said, I don't see it as a weak statement. I think it's extremely powerful because it's my wife's kindness and, you know, attitude towards life that really helped me through. And I hope I'm learning from her and instilling more and more of that into my, you know, daily practice. Man, that is so powerful, Mark, honestly. And I think that one of the most uh, reason why I really wanted to do this interview with you as well is because um, I love that you're not afraid to talk about your story. I think so many individuals we want to uh, we go through something difficult and, you know, human beings, we bounce back pretty quick. Of course, those moments that we're going through our trials are very, uh, it's not easy and it's very difficult to think about the other side. Um, but the humility on your life, it's its amazing um, how you, you say it, how it is, and, and you continue to bounce back in life. And that's what it's about. I mean, I remember another thing you said was, you know, students for life. I, I hope I'm never an expert. You said that to me. Um, I mean, that was, that's pretty profound. Tell us how you live that and tell us where you, you, you got that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where I got my love of learning, but it, it happened early and, you know, I, I've just recently enrolled in my, um, masters of conservation biology, which again, you know, I, I got into the, you know, after the, the sort of corporate <laughs> blow up, we, we started wild Ark as I guess the final iteration of, our you know, wilderness adventure and hopefully we're wild arcs a 50 year mission and we, we do this forever. And I just realized how little I actually knew. Okay. I've got a lot of experience. I've spent time with a lot of animals, a lot of different places around the world, but actually when it came to the theory and the science and the, you know, sort of how ecosystems work at a nuts and bolts level, I just was an absolute novice. So, you know, enrolling in, you know, this knowledge, um, thirst for knowledge in the conservation space has just been another wonderful chapter of learning. And I think that, you know, for me, I'm only really good at a couple of things. You know, I, part of the, the, the benefit of going through some hard times is learning, you know, the stuff that you are not good at and then really trying to focus on doing the things that you are better at doing and then building a team around you to fill in those gaps. And, I think for me, I'm just going to now stick to my guns. This is what I'm good at. The stuff I'm not so good at, I'm going to learn and listen and watch, but I'm going to stick to my guns. Super cool, man. Love that. Well, to end of the show, why don't you answer this last question for me? You know, if you had to define your life purpose, uh, what would you say it is? I, I think now, you know, I've gone through a lot of iterations, but I think now it's very clear and it is to try and protect as much space for our wild neighbors as possible. And the reason, the, the selfish reason behind that is so that my kids and grandkids can have the same experiences that I have. Now, yeah, that, that may sound like a selfish statement, but I think if I stick to my absolute core reason for being around now, that is it. And hopefully by, 
you know, having that selfish resolve that my, my grandkids can go see a lion running free in Africa, you know, other people will benefit from hopefully those places, no matter how small they are, that we can protect. So good, man. Well, Mark, I got to tell you, I really mean this when I say I've been taking some notes here and your story is just an inspiration to me, man. It, like, I can't wait to continue the conversation with you and continue to learn. Um, but for everyone listening, I mean, there's so many nuggets here that we've got to share with our friends. So why don't you share the show if you're listening right now, if you've been inspired by Mark, uh, send this out to someone that you think would appreciate it. Tag them uh, in the posts that we'll be sending out. But Mark, thanks so much for being on the Dreamcast and being a part of this. Daniel, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. Uh, if you want to visit danielbazinski.com, we're consistently posting new podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. And again, if you don't know your purpose in life or your life purpose, or you don't feel you have purpose in your life, why don't you start the journey at pioneerpurpose.com? Why don't you pick up the purpose workbook and just begin to answer the, 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 the frequently avoided questions that you continue to avoid, yet those questions, those answers are going to bring forth your greatest potential. And so if you feel you have a purpose on your life, don't be afraid. Take control of your purpose selfishly look at your purpose and realize that when you discover it then you can help others discover theirs thanks for listening to the dreamcast and we'll see you next week